You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. This message is from the Core Five, where we are learning about the five core principles that define what it means to be a part of Covenant Church. The topic this week is that we worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping God isn't just an emotional experience. It is equally intellectual. And now, here is our creative director, Seth Benjamin. Coming to church, can we celebrate a little bit this morning? We serve an amazing God, do we not? Well, as we continue to stand, let's uh, begin by reading from Scripture. We're going to be in John chapter 4, starting in uh, verse 16. Let's read together. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our, worship, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning as we embark on this this time in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, we ask that your your truth would be illuminated to to us through, through the Scriptures. Because God, we are not entirely interested in hearing the opinions of man because the opinions of of man get us nowhere. They take us nowhere but to places of misery and destruction. So instead, we are are asking that you would illuminate to us your truth this morning. And I pray that I would just be your vessel and that that I would just speak speak for your truth and not, not for my own, God, this morning. Speak to us from this story of the Samaritan woman at the well. May, May the truth shine. And may we learn how to worship in spirit and truth. God, we love you. We give you all the glory because it's yours anyway. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Seth, and I have the pleasure of being the creative director here at at Covenant Church, as well as serving on the executive pastoral team. And uh, this morning, I, I have the absolute pre- pleasure of talking to you about the fourth of our core five principles. Um, we've been going through these core five principles all throughout 2015. Pastor Travis has already taken us through three of them. Uh, we invest in life change. We know Sunday is just the start and we bring our friends. Those are the first of the three or the, the five core five principles. Today we're, we're talking about the fourth and it's one of my favorites, but I'm honestly probably a little bit biased and, and I'll admit that up front. Today we're, we're diving into uh, we worship in spirit and truth. 
So right now, let's get this right. Let's open up our uh, notebooks. Let's get our pens out. Let's get our Bibles ready. Let's get our phones ready. However you take notes, because I want you to start by writing that down. We worship in spirit and truth. Please write that down. And then after you write that down, I want you to write down, it is an honor to know God. We are active participants engaged in worship and learning. It is an honor to know God. We are active participants engaged in worship and learning. This is our core five principle for today. This is the principle that we want to shape, uh, use to shape our behaviors. Well, this morning, I want to tell you a story. I, I had this friend in junior high and in high school. And this friend was super cool because he lived on this like uh, farm type property. You guys know the, the farm type properties. It's got lots of barns and lots of space and maybe some fields uh, to run around and, and play. We loved to play paintball and we would run from, from barn to barn and, and shoot each other. And, and knowing my childhood, we were probably pretending to be assassins or ninjas or some sort of thing like that. Some of you may uh, have childhoods uh, similar to mine in that way. And when we would hang out, his parents were awesome because they just, they always sort of took care of us, you know? Does anybody have this friend from childhood where your par the parents, they just took care of us. You know, they, they fed us, they, they allowed us to run and, and just scream like bloody murder running through the house, probably like breaking lamps and uh, precious treasured things, no doubt. And, and they didn't even really uh, bat an eye. But you know how when you're a kid, uh, you have these experiences where you kind of have this level of expectation that has been set by your family, right? The way that you do things in your family sets this sort of base level of expectations for what you call normal. You guys know what I'm talking about? But then you have this experience with a friend's family who kind of challenges uh, that experience a little bit, where all of a sudden what you thought was normal may not be so normal. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Well, I wanna share with you one such experience this morning. You see, this particular time, uh, I was having just a ton of fun, uh, fun at my friend's house. It was going exactly as I would expect it. We're hanging out, we're playing, we're um, running from barn to barn and pretending to be ninjas. And uh, we thought we could do like flips and cool stuff when we probably really couldn't. And it, I'm sure it looked ridiculous, but uh, we're just running around. And, and all of a sudden my friend's uh, mom finds us and she walks up and she says those few words, that are some of the most beautiful words that you could ever hear when you're hanging out at a friend's house and having a sleepover. You guys know what these words are? We're ordering pizza for dinner. I mean, seriously, is there anything more beautiful than a friend's mom walking through the door and saying, we're ordering pizza for dinner? I don't think so. I think that's one of the most beautiful things in life. Now, there's probably a few things that are worth noting about me, and I won't, I won't dive into all of them, but I'll dive into the one that's important, and that is that I love pizza. I mean, honestly, like I love pizza. My, my mom is here today and you can ask her if I love pizza. You can ask her how much pizza I've probably consumed in my life and the, uh, the answer would shock you. It would probably make you a little sad. And, and I would eat pizza 99.9% .9 of the time if I could. I would absolutely do it because I love it. So when my friend's mom came through the door and, and she said, we're having pizza, I was excited. 
So we went about our afternoon and again, we're just playing around the property. And I remember at some point um, the pizza got there and I, I, I kind of remember it like this. Let's hope this, that this is true. If not, just allow me to take some liberties. But uh, my friend's dad uh, drove a truck and he was coming down the lane and you just knew the pizza was inside the truck, right? Like he left to go get the pizza and you're like, there's a pizza, it's in the truck. I can't wait. Oh my gosh, it's so, so exciting. It's here and the, it's coming up the lane and then you follow the, you follow the dad into the garage and then you follow him into the kitchen and, and there he is. He's unstacking the boxes. Oh, you can smell it now. You can smell the pizza. He's, he's setting them out and you smell the crust, right? Oh, yeah. The sauce, mm, the cheese, the pepperoni, and then something else filled my nose. Mm. You see, my family is a pepperoni family. We eat pepperoni pizza. That's what a good Christian family does. <laughs> but the problem was the smells didn't stop at pepperoni. Lest my nose betray me, they continued. Onions. Mushrooms, green peppers. My friend's dad lifted the lid on the box and there it sat, a supreme pizza. I held out hope for the second box, but it was just a copy of the first. My adolescent mind had betrayed me. This was ridiculous. You don't order supreme pizza, you eat pepperoni pizza. That's what you do, that's what normal people do. This is how we eat pizza. That's how my family eat pizza, ate pizza. But here's the truth. That's not how my friend's family ate pizza. And there's nothing wrong with Supreme. I mean, there's something wrong with Supreme, but there's nothing wrong with Supreme. It just wasn't what I was used to. It wasn't how my family did it, but it was how his family did it. And it's really, really easy for us to fixate on the way that we do things, isn't it? It's really, really easy for us to fixate on a specific way of doing things. And just like I was fixating on the specific uh, type of, of, of pizza, you know, but honestly, I think the way that we do things just really in a lot of ways comes from how we were raised. It might come from the environment in which we live. You know, maybe you're a Browns fan. We got any Browns fans in here? Any Browns fans? One that is kind of waving their hand. Okay, so maybe you're a Browns fan because your family is Browns fans. And, and, and they've always been Browns fans. That's how you do it. Or maybe you're a Bengals fan. We got Bengals fans in here. Okay, so not really many of you at all. Okay, that's okay. Maybe you're a Bengals fan, and when I mentioned the Browns, you sort of laughed, didn't you? You laughed whenever I mentioned the Browns a little bit. <laughs> Anybody brush their teeth after breakfast rather than before? That's something that I found out people do in college. Yeah, that's strange. You're weird. Uh, no, I guess that's a thing that people do. It's a way that they do something. Or maybe, do you squeeze from the middle of the tube of toothpaste or the end? Yeah, see, you all said something different, so none of you can live together or it would be disaster. This is a sticking point in so many relationships. If you're engaged, please handle this or it will um, mess with your marriage. Or maybe, honestly, you thought that I was strange as I was talking about pizza. Like, some of you in here right now are like, this guy's so weird. He has so much emotion tied to a supreme pizza. It's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Here's the truth. The way that we do things can have value for us. It can. 
And in particular, when we start talking about worship, or more specifically, our worship in a Sunday morning worship experience, it can be easy for us to want to focus on a particular way of doing something or a particular style of doing something. Maybe you were raised with hymns and you love hymns. Hymns are some of the, the most beautiful songs and their, their words are so theologically rich and strong. Or, or maybe you're somebody who uh, prefers more current worship uh, because you like the, the dynamics and the, the emotion of it and that's what, you, that's what you like about it. But honestly, I think that it would be a waste of time to focus on that this morning. I actually think that that might be a disservice to you. Instead, what I'm interested in talking about uh, with you this morning is taking a look at what scripture actually has to say about worship and how we are supposed to worship, especially when scripture tells us in John 4 about worshiping in spirit and truth. See, this is one of our core five principles. So if we're going to make this our core five principle, we saw it fit. We thought that it was important enough to make it something that we would uh, put into a principle that we will repeat. So it's important that we understand it. Do you guys agree? Okay. So let's dig into the gospel of John chapter four. We're going to be reading in uh, verse 16, just like we were. But first, I want to give you some context for this conversation. I'm sure that many of you have heard the inter interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. You guys have heard this story. Uh, the Samaritans, although they shared some common lineage uh, with, with the Jews, were not liked by the Jews. In fact, you could honestly say that there is a lot of hatred uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were sort of these, these half-breeds who uh, long before uh, had, had been Israelites who intermarried with these other groups. And whenever they did that, they kind of had this, they gained this mixed bag of religious principles, this, this mix of all the cultures around. And they even took the parts of Judaism that they liked and they mixed it in with their religion. And this angered the Jews. This made the Jews uh, very upset. It caused a great deal of anger and tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. So it was not a normal thing for, the, for a, a Jew to engage a Samaritan, let alone a man to engage a woman, let alone a rabbi to engage a woman. So there's all kinds of uh, things that are taking place here. So when Jesus talks to this woman, this is a major break in societal protocol in a couple of ways. But Jesus didn't really fit into the cultural expectations of the day, did he? That's not the Jesus that we know. That's not the Jesus that we read about. So he asks her for a drink of water and she's kind of surprised that he's even speaking to her. She responds with reservation. We see them have this exchange about living water, right? You remember where he tells her about living water and it goes like right over her head. It's easy to read this and be like, man, she's so dumb. But you, you, man, me too, all of us, we would have been like, what is he talking about living water? It would have gone over all of our heads. But there's this moment where the conversation sort of shifts and Jesus calls out the sin in her life. And uh, this is where our scripture picks up in verse 16. This is where that conversation continues. Let's read together verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So time out. First of all, guys in the room, not, not a great blueprint for how to talk to a woman. This is not like the, the best blueprint, blueprint for talking to a woman. But, you know, Jesus is the perfect rabbi. He knows all things, so he can get away with it. You can't. No, let's just move on. 
Let's think about this, uh, this moment, uh, this conversation for a minute, though. He's already confused her with the mentioning of, of living water earlier, and now he's just called out her sin. Like, that's not a completely strange thing to do in conversation. First of all, or first of all this is like my nightmare encounter with Jesus. Is it not? Is this not your nightmare encounter with Jesus? Like, you meet him out and about, and he engages you, and somehow you find yourself at a point in a conversation where he's like, you were right when you say you have no patience, Seth. I heard what you said to those people in traffic this morning. And you're just kind of like, uh, what do you say when Jesus lays your sins out in front of you? This is not a dude from your town. He's not privy to your information. He shouldn't know this. What do you do? I think she did what a lot of us would do. She tried to change the subject. That's what I think happened. Let's read verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's just a funny line. Let's just dwell on that for a second. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, there are two things that I think are helpful in understanding. The first I've already kind of gone over. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of hatred between the, the Jews. And, and one of the things that I didn't mention, uh, between the Jews and Samaritans, and one of the things that I didn't mention is that the Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And it's where they worshipped. And they even claimed, like, this is the place to worship. We have antiquity on our side. This is how our fathers have, have done it. And the Jews, they worshipped in a temple in uh, Jerusalem. So she asks Jesus a question about, where one ought to worship. And, and this is kind of a contentious topic of the day. This is a topic that was probably hotly contested and hotly discussed and, and brought, uh, brought much emotion very quickly. It's, it's, it's probably something akin to politics today, if you've ever spoken politics to anybody these days. But what's funny to me about this is this mountain is actually visible at the time. It was visible from the well where they're standing and speaking. So what, when I read this scripture, I read this scripture literally as this woman being like faced with her sin. And she changes the subject to like the first thing that she sees. She's like, oh, uh, well, you worship in the temple in Jerusalem and we worship in Mount Gerizim. So like. What's up with that? You know, like that's exactly what I would have done. I would have just changed it like to anything that I saw, like the weather, like, oh my gosh, please just get this off this topic. So let's see how Jesus responds to this. This is where it gets good. You guys ready? This is where it gets good. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming with neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is why Jesus is awesome. This is why Jesus is awesome, because we have such a tendency uh, to have this very limited view of things, don't we? We have this tendency to have like this one dimensional view and she's, she's faced with her sins and she changes the subject to a hotly contested topic of the day. And she's just, she's just, she's just single minded. And, and Jesus takes an opportunity to, to drop some knowledge on her. In fact, he doesn't even really take the bait, does he? He doesn't even really like address and dig in in depth what she's talking about, where to worship. Instead, he uses the opportunity to share with this woman that everything is about to change. Don't miss that. Write this down. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. You see, the Jews had to go to the temple to worship the Father. 
The Samaritans believed that their location and their temple was the place to find God. But Jesus, he's, he's pointing to a future where because of his bridging the gap from us to God, we no longer need to go to the temple because our, our bodies become the temple. And because of Jesus, he can dwell within our hearts. This is revolutionary. This is revolutionary. Please don't miss this. Jesus is showing us that worship is no longer tied to where you worship, but instead it has become about how you worship. And he says it very plainly in verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here. I want everybody to say it's now here. Say it. The hour is coming and is now here. That's now. It's here. It says it right there. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I want to be a true worshiper. I do. I want to be a true worshiper. I bet you probably want to be a true worshiper. But just like the Samaritan woman, we get caught up in the wrong things. We get caught up in the wrong conversations. And sometimes we miss what Jesus is saying. I think a lot of times we're divided into two different sort of coexisting groups in the church, especially when it comes to our worship on a, on a Sunday morning context. So this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about the two most common groups that we see sort of naturally form. Can I do that real quick? The first, the first group, I'll call you guys the spirited individuals. You operate more from emotions, right? You guys... God bless you guys. You just feel feelings so strongly, don't you? You're the ones down front, hands high, heart abandoned. You're clapping, you're cheering. Dang, you might even cry on the right day, like if the spirit's right. You're the ones, you know that line, I'm not going to say the name of the song, but I'm going to say the line because it, it's worth it. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. You were like super pumped to sing that lyric. Like you can't wait to sing that lyric. Yes, oh, I love this lyric. Oh my gosh. Honestly, I think if our aisles weren't stairs, you guys would probably be like running up and down them, but that's like a hazard, so please don't do that, you emotional individuals. The other group, let's call you guys the truthy individuals. That's not a cool name, I know, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. The truthy individuals, you guys operate more from intellect, don't you? You're concerned with the facts, just give me the message. Let's read some scripture. When Pastor Travis says things like hypostatic union, you get excited, you get excited but like not in a way that would be outwardly visible because that would be inappropriate. Like you got to keep that stuff inside, don't you? You truth the individuals. You aren't really interested in raising your hands. You may not even see the point in singing. We love our groups, don't we? We love our labels. We, we love to do this. We love to like create this category and it's like, here I am right inside this category. That's where I am. Sorry, my glasses almost flew off. That's how in, ca in that category I was. Here I am right inside this category. And I cannot go outside of this category because this is who I am. This is my label. I am an introvert. I am an extrovert. I am a whatever vert there are. But sometimes we let these labels show us how to react to an almighty God more so than the fact that we're, reacti that we're reacting to an almighty God. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we let these labels tell us how to react to an almighty God more so than the fact that we are reacting to an almighty God. Do we not? But listen, when it comes to worshiping God, God isn't interested in half. He's interested in the whole. 
I want you to write this down as well. God gave himself, so should we. Listen, this really shouldn't even be an issue for us. God is the most deserving being in all of existence who is worthy of worship. There literally isn't anything else in our lives that we should attribute more worth to than our almighty God. Anything else in his place is idolatry. Anything we should want to give our all to him. Emotion refers to a feeling state that conveys information about relationships. Emotion refers to a feeling state that's a state of feeling that conveys information about relationships. It's a state of feeling that is telling you information about your relationships. So what sort of feeling do you have about your relationship with Jesus? Do you have a feeling about your relationship with Jesus? Or how about your view of an almighty God? Like just sit there and think about how he's eternal. See how you feel emotionally in those moments. You should. You should have emotion about your relationship with Jesus. Intelligence refers to the capacity to reason validly about the information. Intelligence refers to our capacity to reason validly about the information. What sort of reason do you have for worshiping Jesus? What sort of reasons do we have? What do we know? Where do we get the truth? What sort of reasons do we have for worshiping an almighty God? When scripture tells us that we are to worship in spirit and truth, it's telling us that this is the ultimate type of worship. Worship that engages us on an emotional as well as an intellectual level. And too often we want to swing one way or the other, don't we? We want to, we want to just swing into our category and hang out there. But there is great danger in that. Let's talk, about, let's talk about those dangers. Emotional worship only. Here's what it might look like if you are only an emotional worshiper. You might say, my emotions trump my intellect. I'm not feeling it today. I walked in here unhappy. I don't feel God today, therefore he isn't here. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like reading scripture. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. But when we worship from a place purely of emotion, we're seeking a high in our bodies that is the end goal. It's a weekly therapy on Sunday morning, but we aren't concerned with God's truth. We're more concerned with our feelings. John Piper calls this an empty frenzy. And the only reason that I bring that up is because man did that, that little two word phrase stick with me. I don't want to be an empty frenzy. Being moved emotionally is different from being changed spiritually. Do you agree with that? Being moved emotionally is different than being changed spiritually. And music, it can affect us and it can help us in many ways, but it does not replace the truth about God. It does not. It serves it. Intelligence worship only. You didn't get off the hook. Let's talk about you for a second. Intelligence worship only. My intelligence trumps my emotions. God hasn't done this, therefore he doesn't care. I have worshiped like this, therefore God should do this. Emotions are the enemy and they deceive me. I don't need to move. I don't need to lift my hands. I don't think it's necessary. 
I don't think. I don't think. I don't think. Listen, we run the risk of forgetting that scripture commands us to come before the Lord with praise. This is not even a question. In fact, the Bible mentions singing over 400 times. 400 times. 50 of those are direct commands to come into his praise or come into his presence and singing with praise. We're told to shout, crash cymbals, that's those things. Break out all the instruments that are stringed. Electric guitar, anyone? Man, it's right there in the Bible. You didn't know it. And I want you to, I just want to say something real fast. Emotion isn't the enemy. Emotion isn't the enemy. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of why it's not the enemy. I don't think that any single one of you um, would tell me that the moment that I saw my son come into this world and I held him for the very first time and he reached up and the very first thing he did, I think he was, he was out in, in the world for like three seconds. He reaches up and he, he grabs my glasses right off my face and I'm like, this kid's a genius. Like, this is awesome. But the emotion that I felt when I, I looked down at Lincoln in my arms and I realized that I am this child's father, protector, not a single one of you would want to look me in the eye and tell me that that emotion is not a gift from God. It is an emotion informed by the truth that I am this child's father. I am charged with protecting him and raising him. And I was moved in my core as I stared at him and the, the miracle of his life, the miracle of his birth and the miracle of who he will become. That is emotion informed by truth. So don't tell me emotion is the enemy. Emotion is simply a tool. It's a good thing that God puts in our life that when anchored by truth affects true change. Bob, Bob Coughlin in his book, Worship Matters, says this. If our doctrine is accurate, but our hearts are cold toward God himself, our corporate worship will be true, but lifeless. Or if we express fervent love for God, but present vague, inaccurate, inaccurate or incomplete ideas of him to those that we're leading, our worship will be emotional, but misleading and possibly idolatrous. Neither option brings God glory. I agree. I agree with Mr. Coughlin. So the question is, church, are we balanced? Are we? How are we doing on this? Are we too far to one side or the other? And I mean, I get it. We're all given to predispositions. We're all probably already naturally, maybe emotional, or maybe you're naturally intellectual. But the truth is we should strive for balance because this is what scripture commands us. It says true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that look like? I'm glad you asked, as Pastor Travis would say. Healthy emotional worship happens when we are singing passionately, stirred in our being, moved by the moment, moved by the music. And we allow ourselves to be moved. We don't close ourselves off to it. We might lift our hands as we're, as we're dwelling on, on, on just the emotion and the weight of who God is. It's something that should happen. That is healthy emotional worship. It's something that should be happening in your life, but it, then it should be balanced with healthy, intelligent worship. And what does that look like? Healthy, intelligent worship is when we reflect on the words as we're singing them. 
And as we read them on the screen, we, we think about what they mean to our lives and, and what they mean as we're singing them. And as, we, as they exit our mouths, it's not just, it's not just us bloviating into nothing. And I would encourage you, if, if you misunderstand a lyric or you don't know, there, there's nothing wrong with asking your sea life leader or a friend or, or asking Pastor Travis a, a question so that you know the words that you're singing because healthy, intelligent worship takes place when you know the words that you're singing. Healthy emotional worship happens when we hear the sermon and we allow ourselves to be moved deeply by, by how God is stirring something in us. As we reflect on the truth of, of Scripture and as we reflect on the truth of, of the message that God brings to us week to week through Pastor Travis and other leaders. Some of you are already like confused. You're like, wait, I thought worship was just the song. No, it doesn't stop at that fourth song right before Pastor Travis gets up. Worship on a Sunday morning, our worship experience is every single minute of the entire experience. In fact, worship in your life is every single minute of every day. It's whatever you attribute worth to. It's whatever you're praising in that moment. So it doesn't stop at that song, it continues. And healthy emotional worship happens whenever we allow God to stir something in us in that message. And healthy intelligent worship happens whenever we have our notebooks and our, our pens ready and our Bibles prepared to take notes or maybe you take notes on your, on your phone and, and that's okay, but you need to be writing God's truth down. You need to be doing that. And I don't understand this one. I don't understand why we, why we struggle this, with this one. This isn't something that we should struggle with. Honestly, if you're here and you don't want to hear from God and write down his truth, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're here for. I think it would be so cool if next week we all showed up with like notebooks and pens and Pastor Travis looked up and we're all just ready with them. Can you guys like, let's try that. Let's do that. That would be awesome. This is something we should be doing every week because we believe that the truth of God is true today, tomorrow, and forever. And when we revisit these notes later this week, as we prepare for our sea life discussion, or we revisit these notes later this month or later this year, we expect God to speak to us because his truth is his truth. And it's not just gonna speak to you right now this morning. And if you think that you're gonna be able to remember more than like 9% of what I'm saying this morning, you have an excellent high view of your mind. But the truth is, most of us will forget the majority of what is said here before we leave. And that's just, that's just the nature of our mind. It escapes us. So what we do is we write it down because that's intelligence. That's intelligence and worshiping him intelligently. Healthy emotional worship happens when we show up to volunteer with our attitude correct, ready to be used as the body of Christ. This means coming fully repentant ready to be used. And you guys understand that the body of Christ is all of us, right? That's each and every one of us. You are so much more than a volunteer, ushers. You are so much more than a volunteer production team. You are so much more than a volunteer Sea Kids workers. Every single one of you play a very specific and necessary role in the, in the part of the gospel being spoken to people week after week and new life being found in Christ. It can't happen unless we all play our role. So if for some reason you found yourself thinking that I am more important or that Pastor Travis is more important than you are in the body of Christ, then you have you have been sold and bought a lie because you are every bit as important as we are. 
And so when you show up, you show up as if it is your duty to be here, fully repentant and ready to be utilized by God. Healthy, intelligent worship happens when we let our yes be yes and our no be no. And if we say we're going to be there, we're going to be there. And if we can't be there, we say we're not going to be there. Jesus wants you in his church. He wants to use you. And I only say that because I know that a lot of your leaders are afraid to say that sometimes. Please, if you say yes to being somewhere, be there. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This last one's my favorite. Healthy emotional worship happens when we come to church on time. Healthy emotional worship happens when we come to church on time. You know why? Because we believe and we expect that God is going to use every single minute of the entire worship experience to affect change in our lives. Not just part of it, not just the part that we show up to. Healthy, intelligent worship is when we show up to church on time. You know why? Because we expect and we believe that God is going to use every single minute from the beginning of this service till the end of the service to affect change in our lives. And I know that you guys can do this because I know that you're here during the week checking out movies. I know that you are. And you wouldn't show up late to a movie. Like you wouldn't do that. That would be really, really strange. It's the same exact room that we're sitting in now. You don't show up late to a movie and, and you probably don't leave early because you're gonna miss out on the story. You're gonna miss out on the whole story when you do that. It's the very same on Sunday morning. It's only in combining the emotional and the intellectual. It's only in worshiping with our mind and our heart. It's only in worshiping in spirit and in truth that we become worshipers that fully grasp what worship should be. Honestly, this is one of the reasons that we say Sunday is just the start. You guys have heard us say that, right? Sunday is just the start. In fact, that's one of our core five principles that, that uh, Pastor Travis has already taught on. We are to worship God in this house, but we are, we're also supposed to worship, worship him outside of it. And when we get into a sea life group, what we're saying is, I want to take this intellectually deeper than we can get into in 70 minutes on a Sunday morning. You're saying, this is where I want my community to be formed. This is where I want to go deeper and learn the things that I need to know and go deeper into scripture and, and sit across the circle from somebody who has a similar life experience to me and learn from them. Or maybe my testimony can share something with them. This is the church being the church. Not all problems can be fixed on a Sunday morning. And so we have sea life. So I would encourage you, if you're, if you're not in a sea life, go to a sea life this week. Pick up a magazine from the Next Steps tent. Pick one and go, please. But there's one point I want to come back to, and I'm done. You see, there's only, re there's only one reason. Or, or it might be better said that there's only one person who, because of his actions, are we able to worship God at all. If it hadn't been for him, we would have been left right here in John 4 with this Samaritan woman who was being told, you worship what you do not know. Because you see, the father at this time was in a temple in Jerusalem, and, and there's no way for the Samaritan woman to go and worship him there. There's no way for the Gentiles to worship him. That's you and I. Like, you understand that. There was no way for us to get to God. He's in a temple in Jerusalem, and he's for the Jews. 
But thank goodness Jesus didn't stop there. In saying, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews and it's for the Jews and it's nobody else. No. Jesus continued. He continued in saying that the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth, emotion and intellect. You see, Jesus knew what this woman could have never known. Jesus knew what we could have never seen coming. That because in a world where God was only found in a specific temple for specific people, Jesus was going to change everything. He understood that he was the building block for something better. He knew that because of his death on the cross, his victory over the grave, the veil would be torn and the earthly temple would be made ineffective because through his justification of Christ before the Father, our bodies would become the temple. He even says the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father's seeking you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. One where in your emotions you understand who he is, but in your mind you're anchored by the truth. He's inviting you to worship. He's giving you the blueprint. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, The Core Five, A Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.